You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to the Rob Fay Nation podcast. An extension of Rob Fay Nation Radio. A new way of enjoying sports. Each week, Vancouver-based sports brought to you from a different location. Please be warned. This podcast will be monitored by those looking to tear down. We will rise above with fresh content and a new perspective. Rock Bay Nation. Rock Bay Nation. Rock Bay Nation. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. If you are a Vancouver Canuck fan, you are listening to this on a Wednesday morning thinking, man, life cannot get better. A 5-2 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights just a couple of hours ago. I am Rob Fay, and welcome to Rob Fay Nation Podcast, Episode 7. Ready to go. Much different vibe than last week. And reason that I wanted to do this podcast is I wanted to just kind of do things different every single week. No two shows are ever going to sound the same. And this week, I want to get away from the personal emotion, the personal feelings, and I want to get into something that, you know what, just happened the other day. I was having a conversation with a buddy at a bar. We were actually watching game one of the Stanley Cup between the Canucks and Vegas. And all of a sudden, we got into music. And we were, and we're not talking about our favorite music, but it's amazing how much music plays a role in professional sports, in any sport, at least the major ones here in North America. I mean, basketball, heck, they play music instrumental versions during play. There's the big pump-up stuff at the beginning of football, hockey, baseball, basketball. It is such a very underrated part of professional sports. So what I wanted to do on this particular podcast, Episode 7, is bring up Again, I got to remember, I've been around the sport for the last couple of years, going to different stadiums, listening to different walk-up songs, what they do to get the crowds pumped up, the opening montages, all of it. And of course, I also enjoy seeing it at the major league level or the you know highest level available. So anyways, without filling your brain with monotonous talk, let's get to it. I'm going to bring you some songs that throughout my childhood and of course as I've wandered around the Pacific Northwest watching baseball all across this region, songs that I look back on and say those stand the test of time. Here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to start playing a song and then I'm going to let you know why that song would resonate with a fan base. Maybe it resonates with you and I would love your feedback. You can hit me up at Rob Fay, which is R-O-B-F is in Frank A-I on Twitter. And of course, you can listen to Rob Fay Nation Radio on TSN 1040. Uh, I am on in just a couple of hours from now, Wednesday night, Friday night. I'm usually Monday to Friday from 10 to midnight. But with the Canucks, we're just kind of juggling things around to make sure that we can give you the best coverage across the board. All right, ready for it? Let's get it. The year is 1993, and four guys from Queens, New York, decide to drop an anthem on the sporting world. The band, the group, whatever you want to call them, Onyx. Everybody from Sticky Fingers, Suave, and of course, Fredo Starr. This one came out of nowhere. If you were from New York, you knew who Onyx was. But to go to the mainstream the way that they did, taking the sporting world by storm, this became an anthem everywhere. It was on the Billboard charts in the top 25. It was a big deal at the Soul Train Music Awards. And to this day, the source considers it one of the 100 best rap albums of all time. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it was aggressive. It was almost like a stage diving kind of song. Loud screaming. The crimey voice of Onyx was something that you just couldn't deny. This, for me, coming out of high school, was truly one of the anthems. It wasn't the only one, 
that it was one that if you were getting ready for a game, you knew you were getting fired up. Onyx, slam, right out of the gates. You cannot think of sports anthems without thinking of Naughty by Nature. I mean, maybe you can. I can't. This one actually comes out a little bit before Onyx's Slam. This is 1991, right smack in the middle of summer, and Naughty by Nature catches everybody by surprise. This lyric, you down with OPP, yeah, you know me, that became a staple. It was on t-shirts, it was on hats, it was down the side of your jeans. It was unbelievable to see how quickly OPP, yeah, you know me, became a part of hip hop culture and sports culture as well. As a kid growing up in Toronto, this one hits. This was right smack for me in the middle of high school, but even to this day, it is a song that is used, and it's used around the world. This was number one in the US, but it was also top 10 in Switzerland, top 10 in Germany, top 10 in the UK. Everybody gravitated to this song, especially the basketball community, football, baseball. It was one of those few songs that it didn't matter what stadium you went to, you got the clean version of OPP and I'll let you Google what it means. I will go to my grave saying that one of the most unappreciated, underrated hip-hop guys of all time is Busta Rhymes. Flip mode, middle of the 90s, right there with anybody. This one, put your hands where my eyes can see, is one of those songs that you just can't get past. And in the middle of the Grizzlies tenure here in Vancouver, this song was played almost every possession that the Grizzlies had. Oh sure, they rotated it in with a couple of different ones, but if you went to the Grizzlies game, this song was right smack in the middle of it all. The problem is that when Busta Rhymes was really at his height, so too was a young Will Smith. For example, at the 40th Grammy Awards, this song had a couple of nominations, but they ended up going to Will Smith, who was getting jiggy with it, and was talking about just the two of us. But for me, this is a sports anthem. You cannot go to an event that plays music, especially during play, and not hear this. It's one of the best straight hip-hop beats of all time, bar none. Dude, I could do this all day. This song is an absolute anthem as well. Man, they're all anthems. I guess that's why they're on this podcast. All right. It was recorded in 1996. It was released early in 1997. It comes from the album Life After Death. This is Notorious B.I.G.'s crowning moment. Hypnotizes the track. It's the last song actually released before B.I.G. was killed in that drive-by shooting back in 1997. By the way, that was 23 years ago. I know, I'm getting old, we're all getting old. Fifth song by accredited artist to hit number one posthumously. It is in the top 30 of the greatest hip hop songs of all time, according to Rolling Stone. This one wasn't just a banger. It was really the anthem that put B.I.G. up above the clouds. And what I mean by that is before his passing, he was a name, but he didn't become the name and the gold standard actually until it was too late for him. Rest in peace, Christopher Wallace. The anthem goes on for generations. This one, 20 years from now, will still be just as good as it was 20 years ago.
Dude, I got to talk about sports at some point. All right, let's squeeze in one more here. I could do this all night. Uh, honorable mentions going out, of course, to uh, everybody from Tupac, Maestro Fresh West. There's so many more songs that I want to get in, but I do have to talk about sports, but not before this. How many of you know the name Clifford Smith Jr.? Young guy from Hempstead, New York. No? Maybe you know him as Method Man. You probably know him from the hip-hop collective Wu-Tang Clan. This was the first time that he branched out on his own. The debut album of Meth was Tikal, and it was awesome. It was 1994, what was it, like summer, fall of 94, and this track was like off the chain. And it was one of those ones that really threw it back into the East Coast side of things. And more than anything, Meth was one of those guys that just could do a lot more than I think people realized. I mean, everybody thought that him and RZA were the stars of, I don't know, stars but they were like the lead when it came to Wu-Tang Clan so all of a sudden he breaks off he does bring the pain and uh, everybody was in on it I mean Timbaland sampled the beat for Missy Elliott Tupac took a little bit of this uh, if you remember the track no more pain I'll tell you this is one of those ones that when you go to a stadium not everybody knows this particular one but this for the diehards is a total OG track and more than anything for me it takes me back to that mid-90s. This one they played in Toronto with the Raptors more than they did in Vancouver with the Grizzlies. But it was just one of those ones that the second you heard it, the first beat, the right out of the gates, it was just it, it's just a dirty track, and I've always been a big fan. All right, I got a feeling that we're going to pick up some more songs over the next couple of podcasts, but I'm going to stop there. Ten good minutes of hip-hop instrumentals, and I want to get back to the matter at hand, which is the Vancouver Canucks, who played Game 2 last night to even up their best-of-seven series with the Vegas Golden Knights at a game apiece. Now, I'm not going to sit here because I don't want this podcast to get too dated too quickly, but I will say this. The one thing that I have learned about the postseason in almost any sport is what do you do to adjust? What adjustments can you make? Be it during series, during shifts, during periods. There are so many times where coaches and players have to look at what's going on in front of them and then make the adjustments so that they can stay a step ahead and hopefully after 60 minutes or whenever the game's final horn goes off, know that they are the victors. This, for me, is what Game 2 was for the Vancouver Canucks. It showcased the fact that despite their youth, and not all of them are young, but despite their youth, they are quick to make adjustments. Now, that that goes on Travis Green. I know that the players on the ice got to score the goals. They got to play the transition game. They've got to make the big saves. But you cannot take away what Travis Green means to this Vancouver Canuck franchise at this point. Now, we can sit here over the last two, three years and keep all the receipts of all the people that said that maybe it was time for him to go, that he wasn't able to coach this team at this level. But at the end of the day, it makes you realize that sometimes the shoot gets pulled on NHL head coaches too soon. Like, you think back to a guy like Dallas Akins, who realistically, when he first came on, with the Edmonton Oilers, everybody thought, boy, this is a guy that's been waiting in the wings. This is a guy who's smart. He's talented. He's got all of these players in motion. A young, first-round heavy team in the Edmonton Oilers, and yet he couldn't get over the hump. And now, of course, when you say that name, it's not synonymous with success. And you would say, well, with Edmonton having all the fruits of their labor, 
that they should have been better than they were. This is why I think you need to let NHL coaches have a longer leash because it's real easy for a fan base who doesn't get an immediate return on investment to all of a sudden look for a scapegoat. And that has been the case more often than not when it comes to coaches. I mean, think of what Gerard Gallant meant to his most recent franchise. Think, of, Actually, think of Gerard Gallant's last couple of jobs. And I just sit here and I say, okay, Travis Green has had the opportunity, thanks to Jim Benning and thanks to Francesco, to at least fall a few times, wipe himself off, get back up, and try to get back into this. And you know what? I think the players are responding. And that is the other portion. When I say that teams have to make adjustments, you have to trust the adjustment that has been made by your head coach and by your organization. You can't just sit down in the tape room or now the digital room and say, okay, play it back for me. Okay, that's it. I'm going to change. It's not like in the Matrix when all of a sudden you need to learn how to fly a helicopter and somebody uploads it into your system. You've got to trust the guy that is spitting the message out to you. And I think that right now, Travis Green, and I think this is an understatement, has a full buy-in from his team. Game three will be interesting because now it's the Vegas Golden Knights who are going to push back. And now we are going to see what the Vegas Golden Knights are made of because as good as they have been since their inception into the National Hockey League, they still have to have a couple of hurdles jump over. Let's not forget that this is a franchise that has had some heartbreak in the postseason as well. They've got some skeletons. They've got some demons. And I think that if Vancouver can apply just a little more pressure that maybe all of a sudden that becomes a part of the psyche for the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's not forget that 5 nothing shellacking in Game 1 was noticeable, but I think even more noticeable is the Vancouver Canucks' resolve in Game 2 to come right back after that shit-kicking and win Game 2 of that series. So, I think Game 3 is the series. If Vancouver can go up, they plant that seed, then it's anybody's ball game. If Vegas can come back and storm the Vancouver Canucks like they did in Game 1, Maybe, just maybe, this series will tip their weight. Game three for me, I, and I know what you're going to say. Every single game is equally of importance. They only increase in magnitude when you get to game five, six, and seven. But for me right now, there is something about game three. Now we've seen both teams aces. Now we've seen both hands, and we now get to see who the better team is. And after game one, I remember Ray Ferraro of TSN was saying that it was boys and men. And that was a fair assessment after Game 1. But right now, what we saw in Game 2, the Canucks punched back. And the reality is, is now all of a sudden, I think for Vegas, they're going to realize, boy, this team can skate. And this team can score. And that goaltender at the other end of the ice is pretty damn good as well. Jacob Markstrom is worth every penny that he's getting. And he's going to be a pretty penny. And you know what? The Vancouver Canucks should definitely take a look at that two, three-year extension. Could he get more? Absolutely. But I think a couple of articles around the NHL right now are suggesting that even though he could get a little more money, it'd be a lot of fun to play in Vancouver for the next couple of seasons. All right, let's get past Vancouver. We know what we're looking for in Game 3 aside from a victory. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other teams that are still hanging around in the NHL postseason. For example, the fact that Boston's still hanging around. Dallas has got a great storyline. Colorado on the ropes. I mean, there are so many stories, and I think that Vancouver matches up with them all. Here's my last little thing that I'll say about the Vancouver Canucks. If they get past the Vegas Golden Knights in some way, shape, or form, and that is a long three victories away, there is no team left in the NHL that the Vancouver Canucks should fear. 
And it's not to say that they're better than Colorado or better than Dallas or better than any team that's going to be in front of them should they get past Vegas. But if you can say that you've beaten a team that you have perennially struggled with, that on the heels of beating the defending Stanley Cup champions, I just don't know how you can be intimidated by anybody anymore. So let's hope that the Vancouver Canucks can get there so that we can test these theories. Who do you think has the most pressure on them right now of the teams that are still in the Stanley Cup playoff? I would like to think that in addition to Vegas and dare we say Boston, that you could make a serious case for Colorado because the window is open for them as well. And that was a team at the beginning of the season before COVID hit and everything else came around and just shook us all on our sides. That was a team that I really, truly thought was going to be able to deliver. And what I mean by deliver is a Stanley Cup to Denver. I'm not sure if they get there. Again, goaltending, depth, it's all there. Injuries, the whole shebang. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But I just think right now that they are still, in my mind, the odds-on favorite. Dallas is going to give them everything they can handle. Oh, they're giving them everything they can handle. Despite the fact that Dallas has gotten a couple of punches in on them, I'm just not ready to quit on Colorado just yet. What do you think? What do you think? You can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Fay Nation and let me know. The last thing that I wanted to talk about on this show is I did want to talk a little hoop because I'm a big fan of the Toronto Raptors and what they've been able to do over the last couple of years. And you know, when you talk about recipes, real recipes for success, there are two ways that you can build your cake. One, you go out and you sign superstars. For example, the Lakers, the Clippers, they went out and they paid big. Lakers went out a couple of years ago and got LeBron. Kawhi ends up with the Clippers. And don't get me wrong, those are moves that certain franchises, especially in big markets like Los Angeles, need to make. But at the end of the day, second-tier teams like Toronto, like Minnesota, like Utah, like Denver, don't get me wrong, Portland, that's still where Toronto is. Even though their capital is much larger than any of the cities that I mentioned, you still have to realize that Toronto is being viewed as not New York and not Los Angeles, right? Here's where I think that philosophy is going to change. Ooh, I know you're getting ready to hit me up on Twitter and slam me because I'm going to tell you this. What Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri have done over the last two to three years is nothing short of miraculous. And there is no bigger marketing tool. There is no bigger scouting tool. And there is definitely no bigger recruiting tool than winning and having success. Masai has done a lot more then just make sure that he gives Nick Nurse the best players. He has made sure that Toronto is a basketball culture. He's made sure that the training facilities are there. He's made sure that the players are close to the practice facility so that when they get there, not only are they treated like aces in the deck of cards, but they are also fresh and healthy and ready to take on the day. There are so many little subtleties that you probably don't hear a lot of in the media because they're not really sexy stories, but what they have been able to do in Toronto, their summer programs, their off-season programs, their abilities to work out together more than any other team in the National Basketball Association, they have built themselves into a champion or at least a championship contender by simply playing basketball the way it is meant to be played. They don't have superstars. With all due respect to Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. But what they have got is an unbelievably cohesive unit. This is an organization that is coached to perfection. You listen to some of the other teams that don't want any part of the Raptors, including the Lakers, believe it or not. 
because the defensive schematics that have been put in place by Nick Nurse and his staff are second to none. They might have 40 to 45 different looks that over the course of a game, they can throw at you. They can change half court. They can play full. They can play... uh, Dude, I, I don't even want to get into this because... As a guy that has coached basketball, albeit at the high school level, I can't even wrap my head around how the Toronto Raptors at the NBA level can have so many different looks defensively. We're not just talking zone coverages and man-to-man. We're talking about full court, mid-court, being able to put pressure on different people at different times in different trips up the court. It's unbelievable to watch. And Nick Nurse, more than deserving of being the coach of the year. But do me a favor, because I know this is not what you want to watch when you're turning on a basketball game. You're looking for the points. You want to see the buckets. Watch the Raptors' defense. Watch how they handle their opposition from the inbound all the way down the court. There is constantly pressure on people that have the ball. And that is something that I think you've got to have buy-in from. Much like the Vancouver Canucks have bought into Travis Green, there is no doubt that Nick Nurse has the ear of everybody wearing the black, red, and silver of the Toronto Raptors. It's fun to watch. Oh, is it fun to watch. And lastly, I want to really quickly touch on the Toronto Blue Jays, who are getting ready for yet another game at Saline Field in Buffalo. Good on the Toronto Blue Jays for being able to weather the storm. They've got injuries. Well, most teams at this point have injuries. But they have been dealt an unbelievably unique bunch of cards. And yet they have been able to handle this and keep themselves in postseason conversation all the way through. I don't think that makes Charlie Montoyo the upcoming manager of the year in the American League, but I do think it deserves a total tip of the cap to the entire Toronto Blue Jays organization for, yeah, they stubbed their toe in Toronto. They stubbed their toe in Baltimore and in Pittsburgh, but they finally set up shop in Buffalo and they got the job done. And also to the Rich family, who is from Buffalo, that made sure that St. Lean Field was ready for the transformation of Major League Baseball, good on them. If you don't think that that showed well with the Toronto Blue Jays, then you are absolutely crazy. Because I can tell you this, when the Blue Jays needed their minor league affiliate, Buffalo stepped up and they delivered. That will go a long way when that relationship comes up and they're looking to make sure that they can extend that relationship further between Buffalo and Toronto. I would say at this point, that is a foregone conclusion. All right, wrap it up at abbreviated show. Why? Because tonight, Rob Fay Nation Radio is back. TSN 1040, myself, Chantel Chand, Samantha Chang, Jay Swing, Juna Pondolin, Got a whole bunch of people coming through over the next couple of shows. I hope you will join me on the home of everything Vancouver sports. That, of course, being TSN 1040. Boy, that plug sounds straight up the middle, doesn't it? Anyways, I'm Rob Faye. What a thrill to have you along for the ride today. Thank you for checking in. Please like, please share, please subscribe. Thanks for listening. I will do this again with you next Wednesday. Take care.